So farmers in the Midwest used to run a rope from their house to the barn. They would run a rope from their house to the barn at the first sight of a blizzard. Because there are stories of people who would die in their own yards during a whiteout because they couldn't find their way home. In the Midwest, when the, the, it's such a flat land that that's when snow comes and, and, and whips around, you can't even see in front of you. And so these people were feet away from the most familiar place on earth. They, they could probably know it in the dark. It was their home, between their home and their barn. They were feet away from the most familiar place on earth, but they were so blinded by the snow that they couldn't make it home. In Mark 8, we see Jesus, he gathers a crowd, and his disciples are in this crowd, and he says some very intense things about the soul, which is what we've been studying these last few weeks. And so I want to read it to you from Mark 8, 34 through 37. It says this, Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? I've always understood the scripture to mean, um, don't spend your whole life acquiring stuff. Don't, don't uh, fill your garage with boats and cars and overpriced furniture and then die taking nothing with you. And although that's a really good lesson, Jesus is actually not referring to losing your soul in this passage after you die. In this passage, Jesus is talking about losing your soul while you're still alive. Jesus is talking about a diagnosis, not a destination. He, he is saying that forfeiting or losing your soul can happen long before death, long before you pass into the next life. In fact, it can actually happen right now as you're living your life in the day-to-day. -day. In fact, I believe many people are walking around right at this moment trying to gain the whole world at the expense of their soul. Their feet away from home, but completely lost in the blizzard. These past two weeks, I've been asking you to evaluate your soul. How does your inside life match up with your outside life? How is your soul centered? We talked about centering your soul. How is your soul rested? Uh, today, I want to talk about, is your soul free? Is your soul liberated? Is your soul free? And so I find the answer to that, to how we get to a free soul in verse 34 in this, the scripture we're talking about. And, and Jesus calls together these, this crowd and these people, and he basically asks them the same questions I'm asking you. But he strategically sort of ups the ante. You know what I love about Jesus is he is not shy in being very clear how much it would cost to follow him. Jesus didn't water down the message ever. Jesus didn't, uh, he didn't worry if the people would be offended by his message. Because Jesus knew that the high cost of following him would not attract a crowd. In fact, so often in, you know, this uh, kind of culture we live in, we're just trying to figure out how to get people, how to get a crowd, 
What can we do? What can we do to attract the crowd? And I find it so interesting that Jesus said, what can I do to dissipate the crowd? (laughs) What can I say so that they really understand that there's no cheap seats in Christianity? That nothing about following Jesus is cheap or easy. And Jesus spoke about the soul, and I feel like he gets right to this most important part of our life. And in this passage, we see Jesus teaching this concept that a liberated soul takes a posture of surrender. That a liberated soul takes a posture of surrender. That truly a free soul is one who is absolutely surrendered to Jesus. And this concept is such a paradox. It's so, it's so curious to us because freedom is not often linked to surrender. So if you surrender, you're relinquishing control over a territory. So when the police are chasing you, I'm hoping none of you can relate to this, and you surrender because you realize you're caught, you don't get freedom, Right? You get to go to jail where there is no freedom and someone else decides everything about your day and what you eat for lunch and what you do and what your schedule is. If you lose a battle, if you surrender, you're defeated. Therefore, you have to give everything you own over to the winner. You don't have anything when you surrender. In fact, you give it all up. People who surrender become prisoners of war. You wave the white flag. In fact, most cases, surrender looks like this. I give up. I throw my hands in the air. I'm not trying to fight anymore. It's over. I'm done. Surrender doesn't bring freedom in the way that we think of it. It brings you subject to someone else. It invites someone else to be in control of your destiny, of your days, and of your moments. And in the kingdom of God, there are many paradoxes, and this is one of them. In the kingdom of God, the only way to be free is to surrender. The only way to be free is to take a posture of surrender. So, so how do we get there? How do we get to the point in our, in our Christian life where, where our hands are up all the time, where we're just completely surrendered to what God wants us to do? How how do we get to that posture of surrender? Well, I believe in this passage, Jesus tells us. And so Jesus is explaining this to the crowd, and he starts off by saying in verse 34, if your soul truly wants to follow Jesus, then you have to deny yourself. You have to deny yourself. And this phrase in the the, um, original language actually means to completely disown and to utterly separate oneself from someone. So it means to completely um, take all our selfish and our prideful thoughts and our actions and push back against them. To, To actually probably not do the very first thing we think to do. Denying ourselves is not letting the voices of culture win the war of thought in our lives. It's to stop listening even to our own voice and to listen to God's voice. Denying ourselves is stop trying to figure out how everything I do benefits me and my life and my agenda and to stop leaning on what I can give and the power that I have and the way that I can manipulate the circumstances and to stop feeling entitled to anything. What if we lived our life that every single thing we got was because God gave it to us that we're not entitled to anything? When I truly deny myself, 
I have no will but God's will. I have no plans but his plans. I have no wants but what he wants for me. And when I deny myself, I give up all my rights. I relinquish all control of my life to Jesus Christ. Does this sound like your soul? Does this sound like how you live your life? Because I know for me, I fall short often. When I was school shopping, I only got 15% off at Kohl's, and the lady in front of me got 30. (laughs) And I was frustrated. (laughs) And so often, Jesus reminds me that I'm not entitled to anything, that every day I get is his, and how I live my life and think my thoughts and and what I get compared to what someone else gets or, or what God has granted me opportunities with compared to someone else is not what I should be focusing on. John 15, 5 says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I really believe that that is the scripture that needs to get into our heart to have a posture of surrender, that apart from God, we can't do anything. He wants absolute control in every area of our lives. This is the rope from the barn to the house. This is the freedom that Jesus wants us to experience, that even in the blizzard, we can always make it home. If we just stay on that rope, stay on that course, and deny ourselves. The second thing that, in this passage that Jesus uses the phrase, he says, take up your cross. So deny yourself, take up your cross. Now, this phrase, this particular phrase, had a lot of meaning to the people in Jesus' day. In fact, historians estimate that over 30,000 people were crucified by the Romans just during Jesus' lifetime. So in the 33 years Jesus was on earth, about 30,000 people were crucified. So every person who heard Jesus say these words knew what he was talking about. And the cross was an instrument of shame. It was an instrument of humiliation. It was suffering. It was torture. In fact, it was an instrument of death. When a man took up his cross, he was beginning his death march. It didn't end any other way. He was beginning his death march up the hill. He took up his cross. He carried the instrument of his own death on his shoulders. He reached the destination. He was laid down on the cross he had carried. He was nailed to it. He suffered and he died on it. And so when we think of this context, when we think of this take up your cross in church life, I think we get a little bit mixed up. We think of our cross as like our burden, If you have maybe a wayward child or a crazy boss, Luke, don't look at me right now. I'm kidding. Or illness. We think, well, we're just taking up our cross every day. We have the trials. We have the hardships in this life. And and this cross is like referring to, to those burdens that we have. But when Jesus tells his disciples to take up their cross and follow him, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm calling you to die to yourself. I'm calling you to commit to a lifestyle of living dead. In fact, we have missionaries who are under this title of live dead missionaries. That's where this comes from. It's this verse, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
So when Jesus is saying, take up your cross, he is saying, live in a posture of surrender. Live in a posture of dying to self. As if you are completely taking yourself, everything that's you, and you die to it and you let Christ live in you. It is actually not speaking about our burdens, and he talks about that in other scripture passages, but this is saying, choose the narrow way over the way of the world, regardless of the, cross, of the cost. When we take up our cross, when we live out biblical ethics in relationships or in business relationships, regardless of the cost, we are taking up our cross, and we are willing to suffer any attack for Jesus' name. To take up your cross means that you will willingly identify with Jesus, his death, his word, regardless of what it costs you personally, publicly, or financially. It isn't popular to talk about sacrifice and death and suffering, but that's what Christianity is. And there are no cheap seats. And Jesus is saying this. He is saying that if you really want to live a surrendered life, which gives you a freedom, that the posture of surrender takes denying self, taking up your cross, and lastly, he says, follow him. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. And this, this phrase in the original language um, actually indicates an ongoing action. So it, it wasn't just physically, okay, now come follow me to you know, the, where we're going next. It means ongoing, continue to follow me. Jesus is calling his people to be constant followers. Some people follow on Sunday, but they take a different path on Monday. Or some people follow the Lord when they need help, but they take another path when things get better. Okay, God, you answered that for me, awesome, and now I'm going to do something else. But Jesus says, look, um, I, I'm looking for people who will make a radical commitment to follow me all the time, all the way. All the time, all the way to the end of our lives. Take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him always, every day. So then Jesus continues and he shares another paradox. And, you know, I can imagine that maybe the crowd that Jesus is talking to is a little bit like you guys today. It isn't really funny. It, it, it isn't very light. In fact, it's a little bit heavy and it makes you feel like turning and running at times. But Jesus says, I'm not afraid of offending. I'm not shy about telling you the, the clear and the truthness of it. Because this is what happens. Because when you have a surrendered life, your soul will be liberated. And so he continues, and he shares another paradox in verse 35. He says, um, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Waving the white flag of surrender is counterintuitive, but it will save you. And I think from a human perspective, this makes no sense. It, it makes no sense, but from heaven's viewpoint, nothing else makes sense. From heaven's viewpoint, nothing else makes sense. That you have a, you have a choice. And, and you can live your life as you see fit. You can call all the shots. You can be your own boss. You can do as you please, living your life on your own terms. But in the end, the scripture says, you will lose your life. Or you can commit to your life to Jesus you can deny your own will. You can give up your rights. You can carry your cross. You can surrender to his lordship. You can follow him faithfully. And at the end of that way, his way, you will find that the door of heaven will be open to you. 
A liberated soul takes a posture of surrender. And, and total surrender brings complete freedom. Surrender is a step-by-step, moment-to-moment, daily surrender to our desires to exchange them for God's desires. God, this is how I feel. This is what I want. But I exchange it for what you want. What do you want about this? And so what does that look like practically? I think it's asking God, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Where do you want me to go? And then again, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Where do you want me to go? And then the next day, what do you want me to do? What, what, What do you want me to say? Where do you want me to go? Until you know those answers. In fact, I think often God wants us to to shush ourselves and ask him, what do you want me to say before we say it? And it's one focus, not, not money, not a long life, not performance, not family, not selfish goals, but one focus. God, what do you want? Have your way. Have your way. That is total surrender. And in that, I believe in that comes this freedom of the soul because it allows almost anything to happen to you and you are surrendered to God's will and so it doesn't throw you. It doesn't put you in a position of total defeat. You know, sometimes this task of surrendering feels really overwhelming and so I I just want to challenge you, just, just right now, even in your mind, pick one thing about your life, just just one thing, one aspect, one element of your life, and decide to surrender that to Jesus. And when you do that, that one small decision, you will take a huge step of intimacy with God. You will take a huge proportional step in freedom, a free soul for yourself. Maybe it's how you spend your time. Maybe it's what you watch on TV. Maybe it's who speaks into your life. Maybe it's, it's where you spend your money. Maybe it's how much time you pray every day. Just one small decision. And maybe you'll say, God, have your way. And he'll say, you're doing a good job. And you'll say, all right. But maybe he'll say, I need a, a little bit more in that area. Or you need to do it this way. Or, or here's, a, here's just a little bit. Uh, maybe you haven't thought about it this way. This part of this isn't honoring me. And then you have an opportunity to surrender that. Take one part of your life and ask God to do something with it, however he wants to. Bill Bright is the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, and he tells a story about when he decided to follow Christ, he wrote out a contract with God, a physical contract, and he wrote on it, from this day forward, I am a slave to Jesus Christ. Jesus owns my days. He owns my time. I am fully surrendered. Could you sign a contract like that with God? Or are you still trying to negotiate your rights? Are you still trying to figure out the things that you can keep close to you and control and the things that you'll give to God, the days and the moments that God gets and the days that you get? (laughs) Maybe you're still in shared custody with you and God. And maybe the reason that you aren't making much progress in your faith is because you're still trying to give the orders. You're still trying to be the boss. You know, there's a difference. Um, I was talking with a friend this week, and there's a difference between giving up and surrendering. There's a difference. Giving up would say, I'm defeated. 
Like, I don't see the answer. I, I, my hands are tied. I'll just let life happen to me and cut my losses. I'm going to be single forever. And we, and we just sort of have this give up mentality. God is not asking you to do that. That is not what this means. Don't just give up. Don't just put your life on autopilot and see what opportunities come. In fact, Galatians 6, 9 is specific. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Joshua 1, 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong, be courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Don't give up. And I believe that someone in this room, even right at this very moment, needed to hear that today. Maybe the only reason that God had you come was to hear this. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. It's not over. Don't give up. Don't give in. But what God is asking us to do is surrender. Now here's the difference. Surrendering is saying, I trust the captain of the ship. Surrender is saying, I willingly give my whole life, everything in it, because I know the guy in control of it all loves me. And I know he wants what's best for my life. And I know he sees from beginning to end. And I know that he knows what's behind every corner and at the end of every hallway. And surrender is giving control over to the God of the universe. It is not giving up and saying, God, you are not doing what I want you to do. And so I just give up. Surrendering is saying, you can have all my days, all my decisions, all the things I can't figure out. I surrender it all to you. God, I say yes to you before I even know what's on the table. And I trust you. And so here it is. In a free soul, a liberated soul, is one who is in the posture of surrender. And so I want to put this into, into practice today. Um, in the scripture. So uh, would you stand up? And I purposely uh, didn't want music or anything behind us because I believe that surrender is a decision that you make on your worst day and on your best day. Surrender is a decision you make when you got the raise you, you were excited for. And surrender is a decision you make when you are still in the same position a year ago that you are now and you thought for sure something would shake, but it hasn't. And so you just feel completely stuck. Surrender is a choice. It can't be emotional. It can't be wavering. It's really great to sing those songs and to come to the altar. I believe God does something in us. But surrender is that choice you make when it's boring and you can't feel anything. And you're just, it's you and God and it's a tough moment. That's what surrender is. So this is what we're going to do. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you, um, to get in a posture of surrender. Now, that's going to mean different things to you. That might mean putting your hands in the air like this. That might mean getting on your knees. That might mean uh, filling this space. That might mean going to the back. I don't know. Do, do whatever you feel like your posture of surrender is. Whatever triggers your mind that you mean business. Okay? Maybe that's just sitting down. But you mean business right now with God. And we're going to pray some bold prayers. We're going to ask God for some big things. There's going to be a little bit of silence that could potentially be a little bit awkward, but that's okay. And what I want you to do is just interact with God for the next 
eight or so minutes and just have a conversation with him about these certain topics I'm going to talk about and whether you need to surrender them. And for me, you can do it any way you want, but for me, I literally picture the situation, whatever it represents, and I picture myself pushing it across the desk to Jesus. Just like physically, however you want to wrap up your anxiety in a box, and you just push it across the desk to Jesus and say, God, you're in control of that. You, you can do something with that. God, show me how you want to fix that. I surrender that to you. And so physically do that. Okay, shake your head if you're like, I, I kind of know what you're saying we're going to do. Okay. All right. So let's just, if you want to close your eyes, if you want to get into a posture of surrender. And I want you to imagine your inside life, like your heart, like the floor plan of a home. Okay? So you realtors in the room will really get this. And we're going to mentally walk through the floor plan and just prayerfully examine what we need to surrender, okay? And then this week, every time you walk into the physical room of your home like that, I want you to, to just let this come to mind. Let this be a reminder of this conversation with God. So let's start with the family room. What family issue do you need to surrender to God? Who in your family do you need to let go and trust God will work on their behalf? Give God your parents, give God your kids, give God your future family, your future kids, your future spouse to God right now. Just focus on things in your family, your family room. Okay, now let's go into the office, like the office of your soul. And the office is often full of our details. It's, it's full of our, our, our bills. So what financial strain do you have to surrender? What financial decision or plan do you need to let God take control of? What, what issue at work, maybe there's something at work that you need to surrender to God about, a coworker or a, um, a, an impending layoff or or something that, that you have no control over and you need to stop trying to control. Or maybe it's at school. What complication at school can you give fully to Jesus? Or what anxiety do you have about starting in these next few days? Um, many of you have started last week or start this week. Let's just give those details of our lives, our finances, our work, our school, things that the office of our soul over to God. Okay, let's shift our focus to the kitchen, kind of the kitchen of our soul, the place where you often entertain or you host people, the thing that, that people see often when they first come into your house. So what do you need to surrender about how people perceive you? What do you need to surrender about how you want people to perceive you? What do you need to surrender about your outside life? Maybe something that doesn't match the way your inside life is, or the thing that if people knew about you, you would be ashamed of? What can you give God control about how people look at you and look at your family? Push those things across the table to Jesus. Okay, and let's end with this one. 
the closet, the place where we shove all the things we don't want to deal with, (laughs) the things that have been in there for a long time that if we started cleaning it out, they might smell a little funny or be ugly. What are you avoiding that you need to surrender to God? What secrets do you have that you need to surrender to God? The things that are way back in there in that closet that you hope no one ever knows. What in your private life do you need God to help you deal with? God wants these things the most, I think. So really take a minute and examine what are these things in the closet of your soul. And so, God, we come before you, and we understand that what you say in your word is we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you. And, God, that will allow our soul to be free. And, Lord, we want a liberated soul. We want to completely surrender to you. We understand that waving the white flag of our lives is counterintuitive to having freedom. But, God, this is the paradox of the kingdom of God. And so I pray this week, when we walk into our family rooms, Lord, that you would remind us to surrender our family issues. I want you guys to just agree with me in prayer right now as we go through this, that we would surrender our family issues, Lord, that we would surrender the things that we need to let go of. God, we give you our aging parents. God, we give you our kids. We give you their safety. We give you their, uh, their decisions. God, we give you those, our kids that are wayward, that need to find their way home, God. Even right now, Lord, we surrender because we know that this is on your desk, that you have heard us. And God, you are working on their behalf to help them understand who you are, God. We pray right now for the issues and the conflict and, and, the, and the, the, um, the chasms that are between us and family members. And Jesus, we surrender that to you and we stop trying to control that in a way that we know how to fix it, God. We ask that you fix it. We push it across the desk. And Lord, we pray that you would intervene in a miraculous way, God, that you would heal broken hearts, Lord, that you would, you would uh, mend relationships, God, in ways that only you can. Jesus, we pray as we walk into our offices this week that we would surrender to you the financial strains that we have. God, that we would surrender to you. If you have financial strain, you need to agree with me right now. God, that you would know, Lord, that we surrender that to you. We want to leave it on your desk, God. No more will it cause us worry or tumultuousness, Lord Jesus. God, we know you are bigger than every circumstance. We know you are bigger than every need. And so, God, we stand before you in surrender that we will find freedom from those financial strains, Lord, as we give them to you. God, we pray that you would help us surrender everything you've given to us, all our resources, all our finances, Lord, that you would show us where to make decisions and plans. God, I pray for the issues that people have at work, Lord, even right now with bosses or coworkers or other employees, God, maybe um, frustrations, unfairness that they're dealing with, maybe impending layoffs, and God, we give that to you. We surrender that to you. Lord, we're trusting you. We're trusting you, God. You are bigger than the economy. You are bigger than the plans that people say. You're bigger than people, what people say about Erie, God. You are bigger than that. And so, God, we pray right now for your freedom that we would surrender to you in such a significant way 
way. God, those that are looking for jobs, we pray that we would find freedom in the fact that you're working on our behalf, Lord. We pray for those who are about to start school or started school. God, you know every day you're in control of our days, you're in control of our moments. So we pray for every uh, class that the college students will sit in and professors that are gonna tell them God isn't real. And we pray right now that we would surrender to you, Lord, because you will work and move in that classroom, God. I pray right now for Edinburgh University as I know as we speak, they're passing out iced coffee to every freshman who will take it. And I pray in the name of Jesus that those freshmen will not know, God, that you are pursuing them, God. They don't know that they came to college to find you, God, not biology. And so, Lord, I pray even right now that you would change the eternal destiny of these students by the power of your name. And as we surrender to you, that you would use us in a significant way. God, we pray for the kitchen of our souls, Lord, that we, we surrender how we want people to perceive us. We surrender that feeling that we always have to have it put together. We surrender that feeling when we know we blew it and we walk out of a conversation and we think they're, you know, they're just not going to respect me anymore. We surrender that. We surrender how we want appearances, God. We pray that we would be transparent, that we would ask for help when we need it. God, I pray that you would rise up accountability and, and that we we could have real actual community, Lord, where we're telling each other where we're struggling and how we can help each other. I pray that that facade that we feel like we have to keep would just crumble down in the place of surrender. And God, lastly, I pray for the closets of our soul. And Jesus, I pray that we would deal with the issues we've been avoiding. God, I pray that you would pull out the things in the back of our closet that are causing us pain. God, that you would help us forgive people, that you would help us be, have unoffendable hearts, God. I pray that you would do heart surgery inside of us, Holy Spirit. God, that you would change how we think about things, how we look at people, how we look at situations. I pray, God, that the secrets that we need to deal with, the things that are literally making our lungs full of tar, our proverbial lungs full of tar, God, that you would clear those out, that we could get the help that we need need. Lord Jesus, we surrender to you because where there is surrender, there is freedom. And so God, we pray as a body that we would deny ourselves, that we would take up our cross, Lord God, and that we would follow you. Would you do it? Would you do it now? God, we're trusting you. We want to be different. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's just thank God for that.